listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I'm your guitar scientist. With over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars, this is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, guitar opinions. Sitting here beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. Alongside emails, we take calls and uh, you really should call the show. We don't get very many calls. We, we have no calls for this episode. Call the show, people. Actually, uh, we did get one voicemail, but it was a scammer pretending to be the IRS. <laughs> and I, I can play that <laughs> for you now it? if you'd like to hear it, but... <laughs> I think I'll save you those details. Uh, we've got a lot of great questions this episode to go through. This is episode 51. Wow. December 2017. And we've got a lot of great questions. Questions about roasting maple. Questions about the Hank Penny Telecaster. Have you ever heard of the Hank Penny Telecaster? No. It's a rare Telecaster. Cool. Uh, questions about Paul Reed Smith's, questions about guitar wiring, questions about um, fret work. We'll get to all of that in a moment. I'm, I'm on about day two of a weird, like, chest cold, so my voice sounds a little bit strange. Yeah. I sound a little bit like Ross Mitchell, if you know who Ross Mitchell <laughs> is. You don't know who Ross Mitchell is. Nobody knows who Ross I, Mitchell is. Well, I know. I do. Well, my wife knows because she's married to me. Right. What's on my bench? People ask me. They say, Eric, what are you working on? And I'll tell you, I just took the neck off of a 60s Epiphone 12-string acoustic. Oh, dear. And I knew that it had been messed with before because the customer brought it to me and the neck had a wiggle to it. I mean, it was like wiggling. Uh-huh. But the way it wiggled, I could tell that the neck wasn't loose in the in the dovetail. I could tell that the the block, either the block oh. was loose or that the block had split. And sure enough, the block had split. Once I got the neck off, oh, I could see. No. Yeah, I could see what was going on in there. And it's nothing good. Um, the block is split. And whoever took the neck off before didn't. Um, well, first of all, the first sign that it was a botch job was. There was about an eighth of an inch of wood putty all the way around the heel where the, oh, no. where the neck meets the body. There was like, and it wasn't even, it was the weirdest wood putty. It was like, it was like really dark brown candle wax. 
like they melted candle wax into it and then kind of sculpted around wow. it to make they did an actually amazing job matching the color wow but your good efforts on matching the color uh when you know points because it was such a structurally poor repair that um it was appalling actually so i got the neck off the dovetail, so inside, so on the butt end of the actual neck, right? There's a flanged, flanged piece of wood, flanged, flanged. Okay. The dovetail, right? Where it sets into the block, right? And there's huge chunks missing out of both sides of the oh, dovetail. Yeah. Dear. And so, whatever crazy saxophone technician repaired this, uh, he stuck clarinet reeds in there <laughs> to, to make up. Yeah. To make up for the fact of all the missing wood, he thought, well, you know. These just, look like shims. Just stick these clarinet reeds in there. Nobody will ever see them. I'm going to glue it up tight, and no, and then I'm going to melt this candle wax all the way around. No one will ever know there's clarinet reeds in there. But I know. I took the neck off, and that's what I found. I should have taken pictures of it. You didn't? No, Aww. I should have. You could put it on my Instagram that I've never been on. Yeah, sorry. I run Eric's Instagram, and I'm terrible at it. Well, you're, I spelled lefty actually, wrong. Compared to me, you're great at it because yeah. <laughs> I've never been on it. I didn't even know I had one. Well, and then my iPhone crapped out, so I can't. Uh, I can't do anything on it now. So you have to have. Let me understand something. You have to have a smartphone to have an Instagram. As far as I'm aware, it has to be a mobile device. If I'm wrong, somebody please correct me cuz I would love to be get on my desktop and and update on Instagram cuz my Well, that's I, why I yeah, don't have one. It's just I've never had a smartphone. Um, what are you laughing about? You're just a luddite. It's just funny to me and cute. Nothing cute about it. Uh, tell me more about this uh, neck reset. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. I have to get in there and rebuild the dovetail a little bit, piece by piece. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a bit of new mahogany in there. I won't use any clarinet reeds. And um, the other problem is that that the block is split. Yeah. So how do you fix that? Well, it's pretty bad. Uh, and then I had to steam it to get it off, you know, and whoever did the right. neck reset before didn't use hide glue. They used, you know, some yeah. kind of super glue or something. Yeah. Like a combination of epoxy and super glue and school paste. Ouch. Who knows? It was all kinds of, there was really, there was a lot of crazy stuff in there. One of the messiest neck resets I've ever had to undo. So, uh, I'm going to have to, um, re-glue the block. I'm going to have to glue that split and uh, clamp it all tight, glue it up, clamp it, and make it right. Wow. And then put the neck back on. It'll be fine. It, it's no big deal. But it was just, it was kind of appalling to take that off and find clarinet reeds. That's that's a horror story if I've ever heard one. Well, there you go. Uh, the other thing I'm working on is a, uh, I worked on this a little bit today. Customer sent me a, actually a, a podcast listener. Shout out to sent you. Me a, yeah, a guy named fellow named Greg sent me his Fender Strat neck, and it's got one of those biflex truss rods where the adjustment is at the headstock, right? And the truss rod nut is behind a walnut plug with a hole in it. Sure. Yeah. I've told you about those, right? Yep. So the the nut 
is about 80% stripped. So oh. you can you can still adjust the truss rod, but it's getting to the point where he wanted to do something about it. So that walnut plug has to come out. And the complicating factor on this guitar is the headstock is candy apple red. Oh. And the walnut plug has been painted over. So I have to kind of slice that out with a an exacto knife. Wow. Yeah. So then when score you replace around it, the score around the walnut plug. Yeah. And take it out. Uh-huh. And then uh replace it and I'm just going to leave it a walnut Color? plug. Yeah. Oh, okay. Walnut surrounded by candy apple red. It'll look great. Yeah. I think it'll just look a little different than stock, but it's going to look great. It'll look better than trying to match candy apple red. It's almost impossible to touch up metallic finishes. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult because you just get a different sheen, and it just always looks like a repair. Yeah. It's very hard to do. So might as well just make it look... Might as well just make it look good rather than... Right. You know, try to try to touch it up. Because the other thing about it, too, is, you know, when they were... I hate the Biflex truss rod system that Fender uses. I really do. I, I understand that it it's a an improvement in design in the sense that you can adjust the truss rod both ways. But... You use an, a one-eighth hex wrench to adjust right. the truss rod. Yeah. And, um, you know, most people, you know, players and, and most people who go to adjust the truss rod, they don't have a nice, crisp hex wrench to adjust it with. And if you use a wrench that's just slightly rounded off at all, it's just so easy to slip, to strip that the hex out of the of the adjustment nut. Sure. And there's no easy way to replace the thing. Because you have to take that walnut because plug out. Because you have to take the walnut plug out, which is glued in to the right. headstock. And it's messy because it's finished over. Especially right. in this case, because it's finished over in candy apple red. What a mess. That you know, stinks. I guess I'm just old-fashioned, but I like the <laughs> uh, heel-adjust, giant Phillips heel adjust truss rod that Fender used to use. Yeah. It worked great. You know, you almost never need to go the other way on, you know, adjusting a Fender anyway because because of the string tension. Right. And if you do, if you have a neck that has that problem, you can correct it by using a neck press and heating it up, getting it to do what you want to do that way. But um, And how about an update on that guitar you're converting from a Hawaiian style to a Spanish style? Oh, uh, well, I don't remember where we left off, but this week I got the fingerboard on. The fingerboard is, the new fingerboard, new ebony fingerboard is radiused, slotted, installed, shaved down, fretted, and the inlays are in. Nice. Yeah, I did all that this week. So you still got a neck reset and a... No, yeah, now I need to um, dial in the uh, the heel and get the neck set properly and uh new nut and new saddle. Cool. I'm going to use fossilized uh, mammoth ivory on that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that should turn out real nice. Cool. Shall we take some questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Eric, do you think it is possible to roast my own unfinished maple guitar neck blanks? 
in theory, I would just stick it in the oven at the right temperature wow. and for a set amount of time, right? Now, this is an ambitious person. Is this sound thinking or is it a bad idea? Could the maple ignite in my oven? <laughs> Thoughts? Thanks, yeah, well, Sam. Sam. Sam, I admire your tenacity, my friend. I think that I, I've seen... I, now, I've never personally done this, okay? Okay. So everything I'm going to say here, take it with a grain of salt. And if you burn your house down trying to roast your own neck, it is not my fault, okay? <laughs> because I've never actually done this myself. I've seen people doing it on forums and uh, on the internet. They've posted about it. Um, so I, I know that it is possible to do it in an oven. I, I can't say that I heartily recommend it, but it is possible. You can do it. And uh, it's, it, do you know about roasted maple? You do, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's like a darker, it's like ro roasted neck, Yeah, it's right? supposed to stabilize the wood. <clears throat> Did you know this? I thought this is fascinating. I've been using roasted necks occasionally, and they always seem kind of light uh -huh. to me. The maple loses weight when you roast it. Well, that would make sense because it, yeah. the humidity comes out of it, right? Well, yeah, or, I guess. I, I don't know if it's just the moisture content or if it's... It's a chemical reaction the, the that Magic releases. smoke gets out. <laughs> the smoke comes out of the maple, and uh, yeah, it's actually lighter. But not in color. It's much darker in color. Right. And did, you know, that you'll like this. Do you know they they turn brown because of the Maillard reaction? Oh, yeah. I know about the Maillard reaction. You do? Yeah, because I like to eat it. <laughs> That's Can the you, same thing I that... Printed uh, out, I printed out uh, a definition of the Maillard reaction. You would, you read, would you read that? I'd love me? to. Uh, the Maillard reaction is a chemical reaction between amino acids and reducing sugars that gives brown food its distinctive flavor. Delicious. Or caram caramelization. Yeah. I know about it because uh, we buy that malted uh, liquid malt extract. We brew beer. Yeah. And that's the, the brand is Maillard. Mm-hmm. Maillard malts. So... A chemical reaction between the amino acids and the sugars give it a browned color. So that's the same thing that happens. Well, but that would same be the same thing. that thing. happens in the maple. Because maple has a high sugar content. I mean, that's what they oh, make maple yeah. syrup out of. Duh. Yeah. I've never thought about it before. Yeah, it has a high sugar content. Yeah. That's why maple is such a good candidate for roasting. It's, but, right. It has a lot of sugar. Right. Uh, and there's actually, you know, as far as temperature goes and length of time... I don't know. I mean, I, like I say, I have never personally done it. I've never been brave enough to do it. Um, but there's actually there's actually an equation to figure out how long <laughs> and at what temperature you're supposed to uh, do it. And it's called the uh, Arrhenius equation. Oh, dear. K equals A. Well, I won't even read it to you. Um because it's way over my head. But the point is, there's a science to it. And this is why I haven't done it. And the right. other thing that worries me is, you know, heat and guitars don't really mix that well. So you could you could just very easily warp the living daylights out of your neck by doing this. Right. And you would never want to do this on a finished neck. The finish will melt and bubble and possibly ignite. We're talking about unfinished 
Raw. Maple. Raw. Maple blanks. Frets in or frets out? I would assume frets out, but I, again, I've never done it. I don't know. Okay. But um, you could try it on a scrap piece of maple. That's what I would suggest. Uh, from what I've seen people on forums and on the internet, they've been doing it around 375 degrees Fahrenheit. That seems really high. For a few hours. Well, the, the ignition point on wood, so there's there's some variables, so it's because of the moisture content and depending right. on the relative humidity and maybe even your altitude, it's hard to say exactly what temperature the maple would ignite, but it's way over that. It's way over 375. It's like closer to 500, 550, something like that. Oh, okay. So I think you're... Again, I've never done this, so do this at your own <laughs> risk, but I think you're well within, uh, you know, safe uh, uh, parameters if you stay below 375. Maybe even, you know, try some scrap, 325 or 350 for a few hours, and I would bring it up to heat very slowly. That's what I would do if I were going to try this. You know, set your oven to its lowest temperature, and then once it once it reaches that, maybe incrementally, you know, 20 yeah. degrees at a time, 20 degrees at a time, bring it up to 350 or something. And uh, because, you know, warping, splitting, twisting of the wood, this can happen with temperature. So you want to take it slow and then you'll want to cool it down the same way. So when you're done, turn the oven off and don't open the door. Just leave it until like the next day. That's these are my suggestions, but but you've never done I've it. I've never done it, so I don't know. Well, that's a uh, it's a lot like uh, processing your own bones for for nut blanks. Yeah, right. It doesn't sound like very much fun. If any listeners do this, I'd love to hear your results, but um, I'm not going to be trying it anytime soon because I have better things to do. Honestly. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to be rude. You're being rude. Well, no, not really. Anyhow. Well. Thanks for the question, Sam. Eric, love the podcast. Have you thought of building a Hank Penny Telecaster replica? I recently saw some pictures of it and read the story for the first time. The idea of such a rare factory contoured telly is interesting. Thoughts? Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Have you ever seen the Hank Penny Telecaster? I have not. So, mid fifties or you know, mid early fifties, uh, Hank Penny was a Western swing guitar cool. player and had this Telecaster. And he apparently he ordered it from Fender. He he wanted the the contours. So a Telecaster generally doesn't have what they call a tummy cut, and then the arm. Like the contour. way a strat is the way, contoured? Exactly, the way that a strat is contoured. So oh. we're, I'm showing her a picture right now. Look at it's that. It's a Telecaster that has strat body contours, um, the cutaways, you know, the sure. the, the uh, ergonomic design of the Telecaster, right, or of the Stratocaster has been incorporated into this tele, and it's one of the, as far as I know, the only examples of uh, of a contoured Telecaster to leave the factory in the 50s. But supposedly it left the factory this way, and it has a really unusual color. It's like a... Looks like a brown. Yeah, it looks like... Well, it's kind of a purplish brown. It's like a... It looks like burgundy mist metallic, except there's no metallic in it. Huh. 
Yeah, it's like a burgundy, it's like a purplish brown. Weird color. Interesting. Yeah, weird color, but very cool. No, I've never thought of making a replica. I've made a few replicas of, uh, you know, there's a famous 50s Telecaster with a copper finish on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've made one or two of those. But I'm not crazy about this color. So I don't think I would do a replica of that. I, well, what about just the contour? Yeah, I could do that. To me, the it doesn't feel like a telly anymore, and it feels too much like some weird '90s made in Japan. You know, because it, right? Because it's been seventy years. It I've been ruined by the fact that they do this to tellies now. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And so it just doesn't seem like. It's such a rarity. I mean, this that guitar is such a rarity. Anyway, it's a thought. I don't know. It's very cool. I would love to see that guitar in person. That would be amazing. I'd love to see it and play it and hold it and look at it and admire it. And then give it back. And then not give it back. But, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the question. Hey, Mel and Eric. I love the show. I've been listening to the back catalog, and it definitely makes my commute a lot more enjoyable. I've got a question regarding the geometry of guitars. It seems pretty much given that a 3x3 headstock like Gibson or PRS have an angled headstock. That's the tuners, right? Three on yeah. each side. Mm -hmm. Whereas a six-in-line headstock like Fender does not. Is there any underlying reason behind that, or is it just the design choice made by each brand? Does the shorter 24 and 3 quarter inch scale length of a Gibson perhaps mean that it requires additional tension of an angled headstock? Is there any reason why a flat 3x3 headstock wouldn't work? Thanks again for the great podcast. Have a wonderful holiday season. Andy. Thanks, Andy. No, I think that it's all just uh, design choices. It really is. You can You can have a short or a long scale with a flat or an angled headstock, it's all just going to... It. There's no reason why any of those combinations wouldn't work. They all just have to be done properly. You know, there has to right. be enough angle behind the nut so that the strings vibrate properly. And in the case of Fender and other flat headstock guitars, they use string trees to make that happen. So, you know, it, it can be done with pretty much any scale length, any way you want to do it. But... um Great question, and yeah, it's something I've thought about. You know, here's here's something to think about. Guitars with slotted headstocks have really extreme break angle when the strings come across the nut, and then they go down because the tuner is in the middle of the headstock because it has a you know the slotted right. headstock where the tuners go through right. the headstock. Yep. So that adds tension to the feel of the strings. Interesting. Yeah, it's all really interesting stuff to think about, and that's, yeah, that's what Andy's been thinking about. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Hey, Eric, thanks so much for the answer to my question about Les Paul wiring. If it weren't for you, I probably never would have figured that out. Right on. Just to refresh your memory, I was asking about how to wire the guitar so it didn't cut out when you turned down the volume on only one of the pickups. Next question. Since I'm connecting the pickup to the middle lug of the pot, I assume I would connect the switch to one of the end lugs. And I also assume that it would not be the lug that is connected to ground. Correct? Yes. I hope that's clear. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Anyway. You're just swapping those two wires. Okay. Yeah. 
Anyway, I'd really like to better, better educate myself in guitar wiring. I know it's not that complicated, but it doesn't come natural to me. Can you recommend any books? I have Guitar Electronics for Musicians by Donald Brosnack. It's not bad, but there's not much in the way of troubleshooting. Thanks so much. More questions coming your way. Cool. I have a, a book by Brosnack, but it's not that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I. you know, I did a quick search. I don't have any in my library, and none that I've read, so... Um, nothing that I can, nothing that I can, uh, hardly recommend, but I did find something online that you might find interesting. It's called Guitar Electronics, Understanding Wiring by T.A. Swike. That's S-W-I-K-E. And, uh, it says this is the only wiring guide you will ever need to buy, which is pretty definitive, right? Yeah. Sounds right, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it has... Four and a half out of five stars and 90 plus customer reviews. It looks like it's, you know, definitely a legit book. 2007, so it's pretty up to date, only 10 years old. You might give that a try. And uh, if you do, let me know what you thought. Because, uh, again, I haven't read this book, so I'm kind of uh, uh, recommending something that I don't know anything about. But you asked. All right. Cool. Thank you. Hi, Eric. I recently made a little cigar box guitar. It was a fun project. It gave me the chance to do a lot of things that I've never done before without too much worry. If I messed it up, it was just a little toy, so no pressure to make it perfect. Mm -hmm. It was actually a great learning experience, and I think it made me just a little more confident to start doing more extensive repairs and guitar builds. Good. One thing I struggled with was cutting the fret slots. I slotted my own rosewood fingerboard for the project, and I found that my slots were sloppy and too wide for the fret to properly grab the wood. I made it work, but for future projects, how do I cut clean fret slots? Am I just lacking the proper tools, or is it more the technique? Thanks, Art from Wyoming. Thanks, Art. I don't know what tools you had, so it's hard for me to say, um, but I would tell you that... Uh... There's a few things that will help you make nice, clean fret slots. Firstly, you want to make sure that your fretting saw, and you should be using a, a saw made specifically for fretting, um, because they're, they're a, a certain width for right. the fret. You want to make sure that the teeth on your saw are nice and sharp. If, you, if you're using a dull saw then you're going to end up with uh with with sloppy and bad slots. Right. So you want to make sure that it's nice and sharp. Um I like to use just a little bit of beeswax to lubricate the teeth as it cuts across the wood. It just makes it pull back and forth a little easier and gives you a nice clean slot. My fretting saw has a, a depth gauge that you can set on the side. And it will stop the saw from cutting any deeper once you hit the proper depth. Right. I got that saw from Stuart McDonald. It's a great fretting saw. And the other thing that is very helpful is uh, to have a, a jig that holds the saw straight up and down perpendicular while you're sawing. Right. This can be something as simple as one of those plastic... Uh, miter boxes that carpenters use 
but um, a better choice would be one that's specifically for cutting fret slots. They have little wheels that guide the saw as you pull back and forth. Interesting. And it keeps the saw right where it's supposed to be. Yeah. Straight up and down. Does it like clamp and, onto the neck or something? Uh, no, you would like you. It would attach to your bench, and then you would clamp the fingerboard as you. Oh, I see. Move it through, okay. you know, and saw each slot. So there's a few tips for you. I hope that that helps. Cool. Did I answer all these questions? Uh, I think I did. I think so. Thanks, Art. Let's take a little break, and we'll be right back after this. Hey, guys, it's Eric. If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that I've been repairing guitars for a long time, building guitars, too. Uh, if you've got a guitar that you need help with, I really I would love to help you. I take repairs from all over the country. Sometimes a guitar is really special and you really are careful about who you take it to. If you don't have a person that you can really rely on in your area, I would love to help you out. It's really easy to ship a guitar these days. I do it all the time. It's nothing to worry about. You can insure it. Uh, ship it to me. Maybe you've got a repair that needs to be done. Maybe you've got a, a pickup that needs to be rewound. Get in touch with me and uh, we can talk about it. You can send me some pictures of it. We can see what I can do for you. Maybe I can give you a quote on how much it would be to repair your guitar if you send me some pictures. So let me know. I would love to help you. This is what I do. This is what I specialize in. I repair guitars. I kind of specialize in, in vintage Fender restorations, but I do all kinds of work. Finishes and pickups and electronics and neck resets broken headstocks you name it i would love to help you so get a hold of me you can do so through my website ericdaw.com that's e-r-i-c-d-a-w.com and i look forward to helping you thank you Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L. CO-leather.com. Al from Kansas City here. I'm thinking of putting your two Telecaster pickups on my stock 2000 Telecaster 52 reissue. As you say, tone is, ob- is subjective, but any way to describe how your pickups differ from ones on the guitar as it is now, as it came out of the box? I love the Telecaster sound on your YouTube demo video, but I know amp can make a difference. Al. Thanks, Al. Just a clarification. I don't make Telecaster pickups. Ah. I make Eric Daw pickups. However, they will fit in a Telecaster. <laughs> they are exactly the same. But only Fender makes Telecasters. And uh, I would say this th- to describe my pickups. Traditionally, Tele pickups, the neck pickup just sounds uh, like mud to me. I think they're too bassy. Not enough sparkle in them. <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm losing my voice now. I knew this was going to happen. I like a more Stratocaster-sounding neck pickup. Not like a Strat, but a little less like a muddy Tele neck pickup. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I do a few things to get my 
neck pickups to sound brighter. One of the things that I do is I use a completely different cover. Most Tele neck pickups have a brass cover that's chrome-plated, and my guess is that that cuts the uh, high end down by maybe 15 or 20 percent. I use a raw, unplated nickel cover. And uh, it is supposed to have... That metal has different properties than the brass, and it doesn't filter out as much high-end. So that's one thing that's different about mine. So the neck pickup sounds much brighter. Okay. It just fuller. You know, it has more of the natural sound of the pickup. Um, Fender's pickups would sound like this, too, if you took off the cover entirely or put on a cover like I use. So I'm not really reinventing the wheel. It's just that they use those brass covers, and they just sound awful to me. The other thing, uh, on my bridge pickups, I like them to be slightly microphonic because my favorite old tellies that I've ever played were all slightly microphonic, and they were just magical. There was something about the way that slightly microphonic pickup amplified not only the magnetic properties of the strings, but also the acoustic property of the guitar. Like So if you knock on the guitar, you hear an audible knock coming from the amp when you're on the bridge pickup. Yeah. So cool. that's how I make my bridge pickups. Now that doesn't work if you're using a lot of distortion, or if you're using high gain. It's just not going to work for you. But mild distortion or clean uh, tone... Um, I think that a slightly microphonic tele pickup is the way to go. So that's how I make them. So that's how my pickups differ from what's in there now. Thanks for the question, Al. Number one, what causes neck humbuckers' lower tones to sound woolly and flubby? I like those adjectives. Hmm. Number two, is there any hack to figure out the gauge of strings currently on an electric guitar, or do I need to have a special tool? Number three, I love the rich sound of 12-string acoustics and electrics, but I have never considered purchasing one due to the tuning instability horror stories that I have read about. Has anybody created a 12-string that is stable, or is it an inherently flawed design? Bruce Bacon. Hmm. Bruce, thanks for the questions. Let's take them one by one. What causes neck humbuckers lower tones to sound woolly and flubby well it's two things one is that it's it's just the inherent nature of humbuckers they're a, they have a bassier sound but the other part of the equation is where the pickup is sitting in the string path um the string vibrates way more up there more than it does at the bridge oh i see and uh, you just end up with kind of an overloaded bass response. Um, I like to dial on humbucker guitars, dial the neck, the bass side of the humbucker down a little bit. You can adjust the height with those two outer screws, you know. You want to drop the bass side down just a little bit until it doesn't sound that way anymore. Uh, and, uh, and then adjust the two pickups, you know, switching back and forth adjust the two pickups, dial them in so that the volume is the same on the two. But yeah, I'm with you. They, they, they sound flubby to me. I've, that's why I've never really liked a neck humbucker, but 
That's why. Number two, he says, is there any hack way to figure out the gauge of strings on a guitar, or does he need a special tool? Well, uh, a lot of times you can tell by feel, but it's just guesswork unless you've got a lot of experience. I can I can guess with you know, probably I would say ninety percent accuracy. What strings wow. are on a guitar? Well, I think that any tech could. I, I you can tell if they're tens or nines or. But. Uh, but it's really not that special of a tool. Harbor Freight has them. You can get a some digital calipers for fifteen or twenty bucks. They're they're it's, they're not expensive, and uh, that's exactly the tool that you need. I think that that's Harbor Freight's more expensive calipers i think that they sell a set for like nine bucks uh six inch digital caliper i'm looking at their website six inch digital calipers is 17.99 it has a digital readout they also have a four inch digital caliper for 14.99 oh well maybe that's what i'm thinking of sometimes they're on sale i've seen them for for 10 bucks though yeah they're dirt cheap man they really are i mean once you have calipers, you're just going to love having them because you can just measure anything. I mean, you can just measure, I mean, as long as it doesn't exceed four inches, but you can measure, <laughs> you know, you need to measure the, on guitars, we're always measuring, you know, the width of the fret or the width of your, of your neck at the nut, or you can measure your strings, you know. So I really think it's worth it if you're a guitar player who does any kind of tinkering to get yourself a pair of digital calipers. Well, and you don't need the $79 Stumac ones or yeah. however much they want to charge for those. Um, Just go to Harbor Freight. I mean, if you're just a tinkerer, you know, a hobbyist or whatever, get, just get the cheap ones. They work great. They really do. Yeah. And it's just a good tool to have on hand. It is. And then have they uh, have they created a twelve string that is stable and immune to tuning instability? Yeah, um, the problem we're up against there is physics. I mean, the, as with any guitar, but it's just that the flaws and problems inherent in a six string guitar is doubled in a twelve string guitar. And you have twice as many strings, right? twice as many intonation problems, and uh, twice as many variables. So um, I would say that the closest anybody has come is if you want to get a, uh, a Rickenbacker 12-string that has the 12 individual saddles. That way you can, uh, you can dial in the intonation on each string. Wow. And... Uh, it really does work way better than having only six saddles. Most 12 strings, well, with acoustic guitars, there's only one saddle right. for all 12 strings. Most electric guitar 12 strings have six saddles, and it's always a compromise. You try to, you try to intonate, you know, there's two strings right. making an octave, and uh, you try to intonate it so that one's a little sharp and one's a little flat and just hope for the best. Right. If you have 12 individual saddles, you can accurately intonate all 12 strings, and it really does make a big difference. Huh. So if you're interested in getting a 12-string, look for one with 12 individual saddles. That would be my recommendation. Or if you buy one, get a replacement bridge that has 12 individual saddles. 
All right. Thanks, Bruce. I've recently become infatuated with Paul Reed Smith guitars. From what I've seen, they seem to be very well made. I played one of the Korean ones, and it felt very nice to me. I realize you are more of a Fender guy, and the PRS line is closer to a Les Paul, but I was wondering if you had any experience with them. Scott from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Hmm. Yeah, I do. They're very nice guitars. I don't have anything against them. Um, You know, the budget line is made overseas, like you said, and they're nice. Um. Yeah, I don't. I really don't know what to tell you about them other than that. You know, if that's what floats your boat, go for it. They're nice guitars. I don't have any complaints. Cool. Yeah. Hi, Eric. I have a Fender Jazzmaster with a narrow neck, one and a half inches wide at the mm. nut. That's really narrow, isn't it? It is. I feel I like the feel of the narrow neck, but I'm going to replace the nut, and I have a question before I do. How should I approach the placement of the nut slots? Typically, I know you would want the outer strings to be an eighth of an inch from the edges of the nut, but with such a narrow neck, should I put them just a little closer to get a wider string spacing in between each string? I want to maximize this guitar for comfort and playability, but I'm not sure if I should stick with the one-eighth whirl or not. Any advice you would have you you have would be appreciated. Thanks, Tony in Oregon. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Um, it's, it, it depends a little bit on your fret ends. Uh, I, does he say whether this is a vintage, uh, Fender or not? Uh, he does not he say. Does not he say. says it's a Fender Jazzmaster with a narrow neck 1.5 inches wide at the nut. Um, I'm going to guess that's vintage because that was... Uh, something that you occasionally see on those vintage ones, they have four neck profiles, A, B, C, and D. A being the narrowest at one and a half inches. And so he's probably got a vintage Jazzmaster with an A neck. Um, And you could custom order them that way. Very narrow. Um, Uncomfortable for me, uh, but, you know, just depending on the size of your hands and your playing style, you know. Anyway, uh, to replace, if you're going to replace the nut on that, you want to be mindful of the fret ends. And that's why I was wondering if this is a vintage one. If it's a vintage one, then it, they're probably worn over and rolled over, and uh, they beveled them pretty steep anyway at the factory. So you can cheat it out just a little bit, but... If you cheat it out too much, you're going to end up with a high E string that likes to slip off the neck as you play. Oh, I see. Um, so, and maybe this has been refretted. I don't know. He doesn't say anything about the frets, but that's the first thing I would look at. Is if you're a customer laying this guitar in front of me, talking about the nut spacing, and if you can cheat out the string spacing a little bit, that's what I would look at is the fret ends. Are they rolled over and really angled or are they pretty crisp and uh, you have a lot of playing surface because that's going to be the determining factor Uh, and you probably won't be able to cheat it out much but you might be able to get away with just a little bit so that's that's what i'd look at look at your frets and that should tell you thanks tony what do you do about loose frets i've done a few fret levels with good results I went to do a fret level on my buddy's cheapo acoustic guitar, but when I run my file over the frets, the frets don't feel solid at all. I can just feel that the frets are loose. 
some worse than others. And some are actually are actually floating up just a little bit to the point that it was causing fret buzz. If I try to level these frets, the file just pushes down on the highest frets so that they never really get leveled out. I can actually push these floating frets down with my fingernail, then watch it spring back when I let my finger up. Hmm. Does it just need a refret? This guitar probably isn't worth it. What kind of fix is acceptable on a cheap Asian-made acoustic just to keep it playing reasonably well for a little longer? Thanks, Robert H. Thanks, Robert. Uh, what you can do if you uh, if you have some fret pullers, which is just a little tiny nipper, a little little tiny fret puller. Yep. You can the the frets that are floating and prop, popping up. You can remove those, and you have to be careful. You don't want to chip the fingerboard. So I, to do it, I like to put a little bit of water on the fret and then heat it up with a soldering iron and then take your nippers and walk that fret out of the slot and then you'll take it and retension it you want to bend it so that it's over radiused okay and then you can tap it back in um you i i would wait for the uh fret slot to to dry out a little bit and then i would put I like to use super glue in my fret slots. Some people don't. I do. I would use gel super glue in the slot and then tap the fret back in with a fretting hammer and using a straight edge, look and see, make sure that everything's level there. That's what I would do if it's only a few frets, maybe six or seven or less. If it's many more frets than that, you might want to do something a little more extreme like refretting it, but... Um, if it's half of the frets, trying to retension them all can <laughs> can really be a pain. Um, so it just depends on on how bad it is. If it's only a few frets, you can take them out, retension them, reinstall them, and that'll keep them from springing up. And then you'll be able to do your fret level with your with your file. So I hope that helps, Robert. Thank you so much. That does it for this episode, episode fifty one of the Fret Files. Uh, I want to tell you, we're taking the next few weeks off. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. next. So next Thursday is my son's birthday. He's going to be four years old. Hooray. And then the following week is Christmas. And then the following week is New Year's. So we're going to take the next three weeks off. And then we'll be back in January with new episodes. Cool. So hope you don't mind. But uh, I have a lot of holidays coming up. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a lot of repair work that I, I really need to focus on. I'm, I'm a bit behind in the shop, so we'll be back in January. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for participating. If you haven't yet, I would highly recommend you participate in the show. Go to my website, ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and you can submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757 774 8482 and leave a voicemail and I'll use that as part of the show thank you happy holidays everybody